This morning, I want to share a word with you that I feel very strongly from the Lord. And I'm, I'm going to not preach to your faces. I'm going to preach into your souls. I want to move past what I see here into the secret things of God. Amen? And how many of you know God sees the secrets of our heart? And so let's just ask Jesus to minister to the depths of our soul and to the depths of this congregation as a whole. We have a personality. We have a position in this community and as a structure of a church. Those called out to declare the will of God on this corner. And so we have a duty to each other and a duty to the Word of God. So Father, we ask You to open our ears to hear that we may obey. That we may shema, have ears to hear, and shema, obey those commands that we hear. And would you move with such grace today, Jesus, and minister to the depths of our needs. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The issue in our lives is an issue of sin and justification. It's the key element of our salvation, what it means to be justified and to have sin justified through the blood of Jesus. We've been in a series on the book of Romans on Wednesday nights that has been so rich and so deep, and you cannot get past this book without understanding the concept of justification. To justify means to pay in full, to absolve those sins that they would be removed and we would be seen as innocent. And so, sin justified through Jesus, we find in Romans chapter 3, verses 24 and 26. If you turn there, or you can see it on the overhead. And it says this, it's an amazing declaration. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We have all sinned and all fallen short. Harmatia is the word for sin. And it means to fall short of the target. None of us are righteousness in our own ability. None of us can please God. We've all gone astray. There's none righteous, no, not one. That's the weight of Paul's argument in Romans 1, 2, and 3. And he comes to this declaration for Jew and Gentile, all nations, all people, that we're all sinners and we need a Savior. But By the grace of God, we've been justified. And this is a gift. The forgiveness of our sins and to rectify the relationship between us and God the Father is a complete gift based on the love of God for us through the redemption that is in Messiah Jesus, whom God put forward. Jesus issued from the Father. The Son came forth that He would do one thing, and that was justify and make us right with the Father. He was put forward as a propitiation by His blood. The word propitiation means a sacrifice and a payment. That on His body, our sins were placed. And His body was the payment. He was pure and spotless. No sin in Him. Born of a virgin, not tainted by the blood of Adam, but pure as a man living a holy life, and offering His own body as a payment, as the price of sacrifice. So His blood, God, 
became man so that he could have blood. That is so outrageous that God would become part of his creation so that he could have the blood to repurchase what he had created and had gone astray from him. And so that propitiation is by his blood. And look, at the only way to get that blood removed from his body was for him to be beaten and hung on a cross and jabbed with a sword. And so he was put forward as a propitiation by his blood. God did this. God put him forward. The Father put his Son forward by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. It was to prove it. It was to demonstrate His righteousness. How? That He is a righteous God. He is a holy God. And there is none that could intercede for us. And being holy and righteous, there was only one sacrifice, one thing that could purify us, and it was the blood of God Himself. And He was righteous enough to sacrifice His own Son for us. And he did not have to do that. This was to show God's righteousness. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love for us. God demonstrated his love for us. Can we not demonstrate our love for him? There must be a demonstration. There must be an evidence. There must be a substance. Enough of this confessing of Jesus Christ. There must be a manifestation of love to Jesus Christ. God showed up. How about us? And so, this was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at this present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And this is where the cross of God, the crux of the matter comes in, where God's justice and His love are met at the cross of Jesus Christ for you and I. It says that He might be just and the justifier. He is just because His holiness was, was, was not abused. It was fulfilled. His justice was fulfilled. And the penalty was paid. The wages of sin is death. And Jesus took our sin upon Him and He died. And that's the justice of God. God's holy justice was met at the cross of Jesus Christ. But it is also His love to justify us. So He not only justified or brought justice on His own Son, but it is His own Son that justified through love you and I to be forgiven. This is all Him. This meal we took today with the bread and the wine is to glorify Jesus Christ. Let's never think that all of this is about Him satisfying me. But in fact, by Him forgiving me and cleansing me, it's so that I may exalt Him. And that we may be a people who declare the riches and the goodness of God's love and justice. God, help us to stop complaining about Him. He's too late. He never does enough. He's not on time for my schedule, for my needs. And I want more. God, forgive us. 
He's just and the justifier. Now you've got to understand what that means for you and I. We were once His enemy. You don't want to stand as an enemy against His justice because that justice will come down and it is eternal. But now that His justice was met in Christ and His love gives us to, to be justified, we're now on this side of the cross where that love defends us from the devil and all accusations. This blood cleanses me from all unrighteousness. This is the side I'm on. That ferocious justice and love now is for me, not against me. Somebody's got to be happy about that. That's the place to be. How precious is our justification. Don't ever think for a minute that God just ignored it or swept it under the rug or because He's so loving and so gracious that He's just going to forget about that little incident you had last week. Let's just put it aside. I won't say anything if you don't. No, every single incident of sin that you and I have generated was paid for through the body and blood of Jesus Christ. It cost God everything. There will never be a moment where you and I would ever think that we got away with something when we stare into the eyes of our Savior who justified us through the nail scars in His hands. He paid a high cost for you and I. So we're justified and on this side of His favor. Thank God. The blood of Jesus. And what is so... um, Incredible of being justified by this blood that we're covered by it. And therefore, the enemy can no longer accuse us. And we have a high priest who mediates all the promises of God to us. The high priest's ministry is no longer to to necessarily have to defend us against a holy God because it's that holy God that justified you and pardoned you. Now, it's the ministry of this high priest that because of his blood, he is commending all the promises of God to you so that you'll take them into this earth realm and bring this grace and love of God to the lost. And we're justified and agents now to do this. And it says, according to Hebrews, that after He had provided purification for sins, I'm going to read that one more time. Get this in your head. After He provided purification, purification for sins. How many of you have ever had an infection? Full of pus and swelling and hurt. He purified that disease and that sickness of sin in us. Having purified and provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty of God. Come on, He sat down. A high priest never sat down in the Holy of Holies. He wouldn't dare. He trembled to be in the presence of a holy God. But Jesus was in the presence of His Father offering the perfect sacrifice completed. He sat down. It's done once for all. It's done. It's finished. There is one solution for sin. One purification for sin. It is the blood of Jesus Christ. 
We will sing about the blood. We will declare the cross of Jesus. We will honor it with our whole being all the days of our lives. Amen? He sat down. He sat down. This is done. It's finished. And then I love this in Ephesians 2, 4 through 10. Let me read it to you. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved or delivered and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Rich in mercy and great in love, He loved us. Now that was proven. That was demonstrated. For many of you who are questioning whether God loves you, that was proven a long time ago. By His great, great mercy and through His great love, He loved us. Even though we were His enemy, dead in sin, He made us alive in Christ and saved us. And look, at here's the other thing. He invited us into the very throne room of His temple to sit on the throne with Jesus Christ and rule and reign with Him. That's beyond acceptance. Why? So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Do you know what that says? We haven't even understood the full benefits of His kindness and mercy. We're going to need new bodies to fully comprehend the kindness and goodness of His grace yet to come. We don't even know the fullness, it says. Raised us up to be seated with Him in heavenly places so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace. He hasn't even shown them all. I mean, man, come on. Giving us Jesus and how much more. We don't even know how much immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Oh, there's so much here. I could spend a week on that. We're His workmanship. This is not, again, by our ability. So, if, if you think that you're able to maintain your salvation by your good works, Paul would rebuke you and say, oh foolish Galatians, who bewitched you? This thing started in the Spirit. It started by God. You can't complete it by your ability. But... Because He's in you, you're now His workmanship created to do good works. Those good works don't save you. It's His grace and His goodness that saved you. And because of that, now we produce the good works because He's in us to do and to will and to act according to His good purpose. He ordained these things in us. I'm excited because look at how many people here have an ordination by God to do good things in this life. Look around you. Look at all these people. Everybody's sitting here to get their assignment today. That is awesome. Take roll call this morning. 
I'll take role and then I'll give you your assignments. I, I, I believe that's what's happening from heaven right now. And the Holy Spirit's speaking to each one of you. I have commissioned you to fulfill a task today. I don't know the date. What's today? December 2nd, isn't it? Am I right? Okay, I don't have a bulletin. December 2nd. From the beginning of time, there are things that God had set in motion for you to accomplish this day, this hour, today, to get done for His glory. Nothing should stop that. You're His workmanship, and He does good work. He does good work. And so, what do we do with this? This is amazing that He picked us and called us unto Himself, and by His justice gave His Son for you and I, so that He would be just and the justifier, so that there is no accusation formed against us that could stand, and He defends us, and He works with us, and He moves us out into ministry to declare His goodness and His grace. That's being justified. Sin justified. I was a sinner, but now I've been called into sanctification. I'm a saint. Wow. That's an introduction to sin that's justified, but if we're seated in the heavenlies, justified of our sin before God's presence, I have to ask this question. Then how do we handle the continuing sin that we propagate? We're in the presence of a holy God right now. If you're still dead in sins, you don't understand this. You think it's religion, you think it's make-believe. But if you're born of God's Spirit, you understand that right now, you are seated in the heavenly temple of the Lord God. You are in His presence, and you can come to Him with boldness or confidence to gain mercy in a time of need. Right now, you're standing before a holy God. And I hope you quake and hope you tremble over this. And understand what that means. Therefore, if that's true, then what about the continuing sin I continue in? That's a bit redundant, but so are we. And so, I want to get behind the scenes for us to comprehend what's going on, and I'd ask you to read Ezekiel chapter 8. I want to take you there. It's a mysterious vision that Ezekiel had. Look at if you want to get freaked out, read Ezekiel. And thank God that you weren't called to be him. What a bizarre man of God that he had to endure these visions and dreams and actions that he had to continue to do. But there's a time where God picked him up by his hair and took him in a vision to the temple and told him to dig a hole in the wall. And God is then going to see him, uh, show him what's happening in God's own temple in Jerusalem. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 8 through 13, it said this Then God said to me, Son of man, dig in the wall. So I dug in the wall, and behold, there was an entrance. There's secret entrances into our lives. How many of you know that? The enemy has made ways into our lives that are hidden and secret, but he gets in. There is an entrance, and he said to me, Go in and see the vile abominations that they are committing here. 
So I went in and I saw. And there, engraved on the wall, all around was every form of creeping things and loathsome beasts and all the idols of the house of Israel. And before them stood 70 men of the elders of the house of Israel with Jezaniah, the son of Saphon, standing among them. Each had his censer in his hand and the smoke of the cloud of incense went up. Then he said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of the house of Israel are doing in the dark? Each in his room of pictures? For they say, oh, the Lord doesn't see us. The Lord's forsaken this land. This vision is so horrendous. He, he's taken into the court of the temple. And at the north side, there's an idol he sees. It's called the idol of jealousy. And so the people of Israel are coming in and they are jealous over their gods and jealous over other nations and jealous of the riches and things. And, and, and they're not pleased with God, but jealous for others. And he then tells him to dig this hole in the wall and he looks in and there's all these creepy, crawly beasts and horrendous creatures all over the walls and the images of idols from all the different lands in the sanctuary of God's holy temple where the priests are supposed to perform their duties. But as they're in there, instead of performing their duties to Yahweh, they are offering their incense to these idols and gods and detestable things. He looks over and he sees a woman uh, weeping over Tamaz. And later in the vision, he goes in and he sees the elders and the leaders and the priests themselves Worshipping the sun. Now, this wasn't happening in the physical. He was walking in to see into the depths of the spirit of the condition of Israel. And that the 70 elders were, they weren't in that room actually worshipping, but in their lives and in their lifestyle and in their authority and governing power over Israel, they were worshipping the things that were detestable to God in their hearts. And the priests weren't actually bowing down to the sun god, but they may as well have. Because they had forsaken the temple of God. They put more belief in the idols of foreign gods around them. Do you see what I'm saying? This is in the presence of God's holy temple. And what about you and I who have seats in heavenly places? What are we secretly bringing in to the presence of God Himself? What pictures are on your walls of your mind and the pictures on the walls of your own heart. And I'm telling you, if you would ask God to begin to shine a light on the walls of your heart as to what you've etched, I think you'll see words and I think you'll see images of things that are absolutely detestable to God. And yet we carry them into the throne room with us. I am broken over my own sense of imagination that I've spent my imagination on carnal things instead of the good things of God. And I'm working hard to destroy those. 
And to let the blood wash those walls clean. Amen. How many of you want the walls washed clean of that imagery? How many of you are so sick of that imagery in your mind? We live in Sodom and Gomorrah. Every day we're seeing things that we're putting into our own hearts and minds. And we're contemplating these things. And the levels of jealousy and pride and egotism that we have. God, it's sick. Help us. So the title of my message is Justified Sin, and we looked at Jesus did that. But here's the twist on that. How are we justifying our sin? In His presence. God help us. We are either justified by His blood or justified by our excuses. There's two justifications going on in the temple of God right now. One is the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all unrighteousness. And the other is our meager excuse to justify the sin we live with. Let me ask you, which one will stand in the courts of heaven? Because let's be honest. The reason we perpetuate our sin and continue in it is because we justify it. Do you think we're going to get away with it? There's a reason you and I continue in our sin. It's our flesh. Number one, it's our ignorance. There are things in me, dynamics in me, that I, I don't understand why I fall into certain sins and are easily beset by those sins. Is it all right if we talk about sin this morning? I mean, isn't this the issue that we're in a war for? And don't we have a remedy? I'm going to say it one more time. We have a remedy for sin. And it seems like the church would rather ignore sin than supply the remedy to sin. I believe that if we would continue to lift up the remedy for sin, we would gather sinners who would be set free. And this place would be packed instead of pretending that we're clean. Sin is usually because of our ignorance. I I don't understand all the dimensions of sin in my life, and I need a Holy Spirit to begin to reveal it and convict me and show me what it is. How how many of you are in that condition, right? And so, so I sin with ignorance. Paul said he was a blasphemer and murderer, but he received mercy because he was ignorant. Now, there are some sins I'm not ignorant of, but there are many that I'm just not realizing the dynamics of why I say what I say or respond to people certain ways. There's brokenness in me, and God needs to heal that, and that's ignorance. And I believe the blood of Jesus covers that and wants to work with us through it. Amen? Hallelujah for mercy. Then there's sin that, that I'm just weak. I'm just weak. It's, it's the easily besetted sin that Paul says in the book of Hebrews. Cast off the sins that are so easily besetting. Oh, thanks, Paul. Glad you gave me that advice. So simple, isn't it? Yeah, just get rid of it, will you? Just throw it off. Throw it off. Yeah, well, the reason it's so easily besetting is it's because I'm so weak against it. Does that make sense to you? 
I keep getting entangled in it. He's, he's giving a picture, a word picture, an illustration of the sin that so easily tangles. He's talking about a, a runner who's running the race and, and uh, his gym shorts fell around his ankles. All right, I made that part up, but I mean, that's the illustration. You trip, you fall, we're weak. It easily besets us. Some of you have anger issues. Some of you have pride issues. Some of you have jealousy issues. Some of you have sexual issues. Some of you have uh, uh, guilt and shame issues. So I, I could go on and on and on. There's weaknesses in us, amen? And don't you thank God for the blood of Jesus that covers that and says, let's work on this, let's cover this, let's grow through this, let's move on. Amen. That's what the blood does. It covers us. He accepts us fully. Remember, we're accepted in the beloved because of His blood, not our works. And so I'm accepted in heaven before the throne of God, even with my ignorance of sin and my weakness in sin, but because the blood of Jesus cleanses and covers me. But there's an issue that Jesus has a contention with, and that is willful sin. Let's be honest, all sin is willful. But there is a place where it's beyond your weakness and beyond your ignorance where we choose to sin in the face of God. And it is this sin that I'm here to speak of today. I'm not here to crush you. I'm here to crush the sin that so easily besets. I'm here to call for a purification so that that blood can set you free. I'm here trusting that Jesus wants His people free. Be not deceived. God is not mocked for whoever, for whatsoever a man sows, so shall he reap. The willful sins we commit Believe it or not, the blood still keeps us. But there, there are consequences for the willful sin we produce. And much like the vision in Ezekiel, to stand in the presence of God's temple on earth, these elders and these priests were filthy. But what about you and I standing before the real presence of God in heaven bringing forth willful sin? That's a dangerous place to be in. And God will not be mocked to His face. And so there is a reaping that is coming. And so I'm here as a watchman to warn you and to warn us. God is not going to tolerate this kind of willful sin in His presence. As we are seeking to go deeper, those were our themes this year, to go deeper and deeper and we're better together. In order to do this, in order to move into that deepness, the presence of God is going to rise and grow in richer presence. And what that means is He will not tolerate the level of willful sin that we are allowing to do in our lives. And I'm telling you, there's sin in the camp. Now, I'm not going to even begin to start calling it out. But I, I was absolutely 
struck by something last week. I was in conversation with someone and, and they were grieved over someone who's in an adulterous affair. And uh, it, was, it was in the church, this church. And I was grieved by that. And we began to pray about it. And I'd been grieved all week long and praying about it. And I, I said, Lord Jesus, you see this, you know this. How can this be? We're, we're pursuing we're pursuing you with all our heart. We're pursuing purity and righteousness. Oh God, how could this be? There's, there's actually someone in adultery in this church. And immediately back, the Lord said, there are five. It's a five. I, I know when God speaks into my heart because I, I don't, it doesn't come that quick to me, and I don't invent numbers like that. I thought I was grieved, then I was deeply grieved. I began to comprehend and began to consider this message. Now, before you all start freaking out, I don't know any of them. I don't know any of the names or anything like that, and stop looking around the congregation. There was a time when Joshua was going to war and going to battle after an amazing victory at Jericho where literally God did the work of leveling the enemy. And He just said, I want you to not take anything from that city. It's filthy. Just like He told Lot's wife, don't look back. There's nothing there for you. And as they went to Ai to continue on into this victorious battle that God was going to give them one city after another, they were defeated at the very next battle because they didn't know it, but there was sin in the camp. Someone had taken an idol from Jericho. Now why would you do that? I don't know. Ask your neighbor. <laughs> why do we? Why do we do that? And it was interesting, like Ezekiel, uh, God had shown into the secrets and God began to speak and God began to tell Joshua, call out. And, and Joshua took the 12 tribes and God identified which tribe the sin came from. Could you imagine that? Uh, it's that tribe. And then out of all the families of that tribe, it's uh, that family. Your knees begin to shake. And out of that family, it's you. Called out by God. I don't have to do that. The Holy Spirit is doing that today. And what grieves my heart is, you know, whether it's adultery, whether it's fornication, sex outside of marriage, Whether it's gossip, whether it's slander, whether do I need to list the sins? The issue is not our weaknesses, not our ignorance, but the willful defiance. We're pressing in. For 27 years, I've had one thing on my heart, and that is to win this community for Jesus. Look, it ain't much. 
compared to what people have done in the past. Some are looking for changing this nation. Some are looking to change this state. Some are looking to change the county. I'm just looking for 8 to 16 mile. I'm just going to take a little piece. And I'm going to pray into it and pray into it. And I've been praying into it and praying into it. And I've been teaching and I've been preaching. And I've been pouring out and I've been counseling and laying hands on the sick and crying out to God and crying out to heaven day and night. And if there's willful sin in the camp, I'm here to tell you, you're in the way! God has a solution for you. You're broken. But please don't even dare to stand in the presence of worshiping a holy God while you've got these kind of secret sins going on. You might as well flip him the bird. Let's get real. Who are we kidding? These elders said, God doesn't see us. And so, I have to let you know that He does. Hebrews 4.13 And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we must give account. We can't justify any longer our willful sin. We can't. We've taken communion here today. And in Paul's time in the Corinthian church, the presence of God was so strong, even though they were so messed up as a people. Pentecostal people who were out of control. Paul even said your, your, your communion services are, are detestable to God. And he said, some of you are dying and sick because of the way you're treating each other. That's what I'm talking about. That there is coming a response to the willful sin. You will reap what you're sowing. And may what typically happens is those who are so sensitive to the Lord will begin to weep over this message and cry out, Oh God, is it me? But those who have been justifying it in their own minds to God will walk away unscathed here. But I'm here to tell you, I remember this. This happened last year. God told me to say it. And I said it, and it happened within the month. It's, if you do not take care of these issues now before God, He will expose them publicly. It's coming. And you will see it. And I'll be here to help you. But I pray you would get it right first. Because there's too many other people that will get hurt. Jesus said, I know your works. To the seven churches in Revelation, he spoke to his people and he said, I know your works. Remember, we were his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. That's why he justified us from sin so his holiness could dwell in us. He then looks at those seven churches and says, I know your works. Two out of the seven he commended. The rest he said, if you don't get this set, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that. Let's not mock Jesus. 
The price is too high. He said this, To whom I love, I reprove and discipline. He loves everybody in this house this morning. He loves you. He died for you while you were yet a sinner. you got to understand the depth of His love. Even in your willful sin, He loves you. He loves you so much that He is going to give you a warning. He loves you so much that He will not allow you to continue to go on and He will expose it. He has no problem doing that because He is holy and He will prove Himself holy. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. The zealousness is to love Him. Repentance is to turn from it. For behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. So God knows your sin. God wants you to repent of it. God wants to come in and eat supper with you. He loves you. He's not going to cast you out. He's not going to turn you away. Again, whether it's the simplicity of gossip or whether it's the the issue of fornication or adultery, uh, whether it's even more than that, whatever height or depth of depravity it is, He loves you. He wants to come and eat dinner with you and sup with you so He can explain to you how to remove it and get rid of it. But if you won't, if the door won't open this morning, He will discipline you. And He will expose you and He will break you till you repent because He bought you with a price. All right, so how do we go about doing this? Pastor, you're killing me. What are we going to do about it? Two things. Number one, we must confess. 1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess, that word confess means agree. If we would agree with God, this is sin. You see, you can't justify for your sin any longer. There's only one justification, and that is the blood of Jesus. Stop making excuses. Well, my husband's this, so I need that. Or my wife is this, so I need that. Or because of my uncle did this to me, I'm continuing to do that. No. No. You must agree with God as He's calling it out this morning. It's sin. He will be faithful and He is just. You see, the justice was already served at the cross. He's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So the first step is, you need to agree with God. You need to confess. And if you won't, He will get you to. He will expose you. Secondly, we must bring forth the fruit of repentance. Matthew 3.8 says this, Sometimes people feel that if they just confess and repent, change their mind about it, that's good. But a changed mind produces a changed behavior. There's got to be fruit. Do you understand what fruit is? Fruit is the byproduct of the growth. So if you're growing a tree of repentance, it better bear the fruit of repentance. There's an action that must take place. Many of us have left that out in the process of forgiveness. And so it says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. In other words, we're Jews. We're good with God. It's the same with us Christians. Oh, I've accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm good. Once I've done that, I'm fine. Listen, 
You need to have the fruit of your faith in Jesus Christ. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So, your witness, God has no problem with your testimony be cut right at the bottom near the root and thrown into the fire because that witness stinks. And he'll cut it right down and throw it into the fire because it's not bearing the fruit it should be bearing. But with God's grace, out of that stump will a sprout grow. And the sprout will grow back into a fruit of repentance and new life and forgiveness and grow into a strong vine again. I'm here to tell you the axe is at the root. Some of you have a facade for a testimony. I hope I'm scaring you. I hope that you're getting it right. God is an active God. God is in charge of the church, and God is responsible for you. And He's responsible for your testimony. And if your testimony stinks, or if you have marred it enough, He will cut it down to the stump. He will cut it to the root. You've seen it over and over in the press, haven't you? You've seen it with preachers. You've seen it with people. God will do this. And so as God does it, these two things will keep us in the right place of growing the fruit of right relationship with God. So we must confess and bear the fruit of repentance and live a holy life. Let us bow our heads. May the presence of Your glory fill this room, O God. I've been faithful to decree and to declare what You're going to do. I pray that there will be those in Your presence right now. Everybody that is of You is in Your presence right now. Everybody that has confessed Jesus as Lord and Savior is standing before You right now. And I pray that we will confess to You, Jesus, our willful sin. That we would repent of the damage we've done to our own testimony and to Your name and to those of our family and round about us and to this church. You've been wanting to flow mightily and powerfully through this body. And You're saying that it's coming. You've given us insight and vision into the problems. I pray together we would all say, cleanse us. God, cleanse us. Let's not be mad at those who are in sin. Let us help them. Let us hear their confession and pray for them. Let us restore them in the love of God and the grace of God. God doesn't want to kick you out of His kingdom. He spent too much on you. He wants to come in and dine with you and heal you from your woundedness. Stop justifying yourself before God and let the blood do it. It's the only remedy. Now may the presence of God saturate us this morning. 